When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever see a successful woman on your feed or in a magazine and think, wow, it must be nice to have it so easy? Well, think again. Behind that glossy cover or smiling face is a ton of hard work, countless failures, and endless learning experiences. I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and I'm here to tell you that success isn't a walk in the park. It takes grit, resilience, and a willingness to take risks. That's why I created Superwoman, a podcast that peels back the varnish and gets into the nitty gritty of what it takes to make it as a woman in today's world. From luminaries and game changers to women you've never heard of but should, this podcast is here to inspire you to take your next leap, no matter how daunting it may seem. We'll explore the sacrifices these women have made, the highs and lows they've experienced, and the lessons they've learned along the way. So if you're ready to be inspired and learn from some of the most successful women out there, join me on Superwomen. Together, we'll uncover the stories behind the successes and prove that with hard work, determination, and a little bit of luck, anything is possible. Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Emily Tish sussman Emily is an incredible woman I had the pleasure of getting to know and the host of She Pivots, which features women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. After leaving her fast-paced job as the vice president of campaigns at the largest democratic think tank in D.C., the Center for American Progress, she learned to redefine her own idea of success. When she left the career, she thought she would have forever. Take a listen. All right. So we're doing this. It's Wednesday, October 11th. So there might be a little halo of darkness, but let's just see what we can talk about and inspire in spite of. Well, I mean, I'm always ready to sit down and immediately cry with you. I have done it before. (laughs) So we really don't know what we'll get out of this conversation. (laughs) You know, crying is therapeutic. Sometimes you just need to let it out. Yeah. I almost let it out on the subway over here because I watched the wrong thing. Yeah, I'm basically keeping myself off social media you right now. You have to right now. I can't. It's, whew. Okay. It's a lot. Yeah. So that being said, um, we had the opportunity to meet during another ha- harsh time <laughs> during the pandemic. And so this interview is a long time coming, and I'm so happy we're getting to do this. Um, you host an award-winning podcast called She Pivots. Um, you called it that because you pivoted greatly. You had a whole other life and career in D.C. You moved to New York. So for those listening, tell me a little bit about what your pre-life was in D.C., what got you interested in politics and covering you know, that and everything you did there, and then all of a sudden life changes. <laughs> Pretty drastically. So my whole career has been as a political strategist doing federal strategy. So working on like national laws that come out of DC or federal campaigns like presidential campaigns. In I started doing it just because I always felt like I wanted to make a difference in the world. And I know it sounds cliche, but I felt like I had to, like that had to be what I did. And I was always trying to figure out 
like when I was younger, like what that looked like, because school hadn't really clicked for me in a real way. Like I just felt like I had all this pent up energy that I didn't know what to do with. And then I worked on a campaign straight out of college and I was like, oh, this is clicking. Like this is it. I am I am making a difference. I am changing the world. I am also really good at this. We lost that campaign and I went to law school and then went to work on Barack Obama's first campaign right after that. And after that, like I was so hooked. I was so in it. I was like we are changing laws. Like we are making people's lives better. And I couldn't stop. And I'm sort of an intense person. And so the the pace really suited me, like the actual work really suited me, like the high intensity of it, that the news cycle is constantly changing. The facts are constantly changing. Like that was a good fit for me. Like I could grind and I wasn't burning out people around me, which is what I think I did, honestly, before. Like, I had this to work in. So my first job in Washington, I worked on the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, so overturning the most discriminatory federal law that we had, which mandated that somebody had to be fired from the military if they were gay. Wow. So we fully repealed the law. I worked with the Pentagon on integration of the troops over the next year. And then, you know, I kind of kept moving through Washington. Like, I, I ran the Young Democrats of America for Obama's reelect. I started going on cable news as a Democratic strategist for almost 10 years. Um, and I ended up running campaigns for the largest progressive think tank through the Obama administration into the beginning of the Trump administration. Um, I ran the only campaign that had defeated the NRA in modern history. I worked on defending the Affordable Care Act. Like, I got to do amazing, amazing work. And I loved it. And then I started having kids. <laughs> and talk about burn you out. <laughs> I had I had three kids really quickly. I had them like back to back, no twins. And I could not keep up the pace of my job. Yeah. And it wasn't that I felt drawn to my kids. I actually didn't really, like I hadn't contemplated being a parent. Like I hadn't contemplated how it would change my life. And I didn't think about any of it, really. Like, I just didn't really appeal to me. So when you had the first kid, did you say, okay, this is manageable. I can keep this level of intensity at work and figure this out? And Or was it a, or is it like, first kid, you're like, oh, no, I'm in too deep, but let me just keep drowning? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was like, I'm in too deep, and let me just keep drowning. Okay. You know, like, I would go to work before he got up. I would come home after he was asleep, but I was trying to be home when he was awake because I was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, I was just drowning. I think the bigger part for me was that I was very clearly not keeping up at work and wasn't the same person that I had been before I had him. Um, and that was killing me. It was so frustrating. Like I would go on air. Fox News had booked me for every every morning show that there was a a presidential primary vote. So like every time a state would vote for the presidential primaries, Fox News had me on in the 4 a.m. hour and the 5 a.m. hour. So I had to get up at 2.30 to get there. And I was pregnant, and I was pretty sick when I was pregnant. And the farther I got into my pregnancy, and then I would go to work from there, the farther I got into my pregnancy, the more dead I was at work. Like I was so drained. And eventually my boss was like, you can't keep doing these. Like you have to choose. Like you can't, like you are uh, uh, not usable at work because you are so drained. And so that just really, it was so frustrating to me. And then I got pregnant immediately after. And then I went back into being sick immediately after. Like, so, you know, I had the baby. I was sick. And I was not keeping up. So I was like, yes, I'll just keep going and keep drowning. It just, The whole thing feels like a blur to me. Like I, And, you know, in the same time was the beginning of the Trump presidency. Right. 
So <clears throat> some women will experience that and go through the, you know, how do I be at home? How do I, you know, thrive in this? But you were thriving at work. Yeah. So what was it like to have the opposite of what you often hear, you know, and be like, oh, my God, I can't thrive here. And that's not fueling me the way that maybe you thought it would in those early days. Yeah. I mean, I thought something would kick in on the parenting side. Like people say like, oh, when I saw my baby, it was the most beautiful moment. I I just remember thinking, thank God the contractions are over. (laughs) Like then I was like, that was my first thought. And I was like, ah, like now what do I do with this baby? It felt very lonely, to be honest. I didn't feel like the the things that I were fe- that I was feeling like the way that I felt pulled, I didn't see narratives in media around it. Like the only narratives were like work life balance. I'm pulled to be at home. Like I really didn't feel that. I was pulled to be at work. That is where I felt comfortable. That is where I felt like myself. I didn't feel like myself at all with the baby. Um, it, it felt like oh, isn't something supposed to kick in with the baby? But like nothing like that. Like parenting thing. Like it really didn't. Wow. And so I felt very lonely because I didn't feel like there were things that I could connect to in the media for me to read or consume or listen to. And I didn't really feel like I could confide in other people because there must be something wrong with me. And like I thought that they must think there was something wrong with me if I'm not if I'm not feeling this thing that I'm supposed to be feeling. So then why did you keep having more kids? I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> Because I'm far too fertile is the problem. Oh my God, the irony of that, right? True. I mean, that was part of it is that everyone around me took like at least a year to get pregnant after they got off birth control and then like probably some kind of intervention. Yeah. So I went off birth control right after I got married and was like, oh, well, I have a, I have a year to like adjust my brain around it. No. Yeah. Like first month. Wow. But nothing about it was intentional. I was kind of in such denial that this could be my reality that, like, birth control didn't even occur to me. Wow. Um, And so I just kept getting pregnant. Not one of the three kids was planned. Wow. Okay, so cut to the work that you love to do, the work that fuels you is not set up for a woman with kids. No. Do you ever think about what needs to change in Washington for that to be – just easier because it it is so grueling? So to be honest with you, I feel really mixed about it because in some ways, you know, when we had lunch this summer and we're talking about it, like I was in conversations to go back to Washington this summer. Like I was talking to the White House about going back and working in a White House job. And this is not the right time in my life. Like the priorities of my life have changed. I now do have a relationship with my children, and I do enjoy (laughs) spending time with them. And I do actually, I am there when they are awake during the hours, unlike when the first one was a baby. Um, And it's, this is not the right time for me. I don't know if it will be in the future when they're a little older and a little more self-sufficient, but that really kills me. Like, that's really hard that this, that I want, I want this for myself so much, and it's not the right time. So if it ever were to be the right time, just in the way you were so instrumental in changing so many laws that were unfair, right? Would Does any part of you desire to change how things operate there? Yeah. I mean, it, there, are, there are a lot of things that could change, you know, things like having universal paid leave, 
things like honestly just culturally being a little more understanding that like you only see your kid for an hour before they go to school and like two hours after they come home and you know if you need to get back online after they go to bed that's fine but I think that just culturally being a little more understanding in that way I think would help us across fields but to be honest with you I really the reason I feel mixed about it is because we're talking about extremely high stakes yeah winning elections who's who has power changing laws and I don't want to know that, like, oh, we lost the presidential, but the staff was able to make it to yoga. You well, know, I agree like- with you on that. <laughs> but, like, how is a woman ever supposed to rise in politics or in news and or, you know, if, if she yeah. can't? go to the soccer game. I don't know. We'll never get there. I agree with you, but I really I really don't know the answer. Like yeah. I had the I the reason I didn't go work on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016 is because I got pregnant and I had never seen a pregnant person work on a campaign and I'd never seen a p- person with kids work on a campaign. So I was like, "Oh, well that avenue is now closed to me and that is very depressing." But as sick as I was being pregnant, I don't know that I could have done it. And there are women that did do it. I mean, there were women that had like twins like six weeks before the election. And I was like, oh, my God. So I think that we need to have – I don't know that there's like rules that need to change. So I actually think a lot of these structures are built the best they can. I think culturally we need to change more to be able to – let the people – and it's not just moms. It's, you know, it's anybody with young kids, in, yeah. I think, in particular – like drop the minutia. I think that we need to be able to have people without kids, whether they're younger or, and I know they get very resentful about this. I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of hate mail here. But like I did it when I didn't have kids was like to step in. And by the way, it's a huge learning opportunity. Huge. For people earlier in their careers to be able to take big pieces of responsibility if they can step in without drama. It's how I got a lot of the portfolios that I got by just saying, nope, I'm gonna work harder and take it. Yeah. I just saw a very depressing article that, um, you know, Gen Z's ushering in the quiet quitting and it just made me go, well, you're not going to get very far and maybe you don't care. Maybe you don't care. And that's fine. And that's fine. But for me, a lot of my identity and self-worth has come from being productive, from accomplishing hard things. 100%. And I do worry that that is not in the conversation about, like, the Gen Z work-life balance, the quiet quitting, that that's not a piece that's being acknowledged, that, like, you do get a lot of feelings of satisfaction and accomplishment from doing something hard and maybe not accomplishing it every time. Yeah. But, like, that means you – Got to try hard. <laughs> Guess what? When you have kids, you'll be like, oh, shit. I didn't want to work hard in my work, but I don't get a choice with this little baby. I don't get a choice here. Got to stay up all night and still go to work the next day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you say, okay, that's it. I'm leaving or I have to leave or this isn't working and let's move to New York. And why New York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just blew it. We're just I'm just into like blowing things up all at once. <laughs> um it honestly really wasn't that I chose to stay home. It was it was the end of my maternity leave with my second kid. So, just for timing context, when I had the first kid, I had him right when Hillary Clinton took the nomination in 2016 in that presidential election. So, I was on CNN 5 days after she took the nomination. That night, I went into labor. So my first, if you track that, 12 weeks, my first day back from maternity leave was the Monday after the election, after Trump was elected. Like when everyone's just roaming around like zombies in the subway crying, my whole office was emptied out, like nobody, everyone was just crying. So that was my first Monday back. And I was like, well, I have to prove myself that I'm the same person that I was 
before I went on maternity leave, like now that I'm a parent. So I went into that time guns blazing. Like I was like, we're going to do some work here, like partly for the think tank, partly for the country, but like more for myself, like to prove that I was still the same kind of worker. Got pregnant, went on maternity leave again. So when I was on maternity leave the second time, it was about a little more than a year into the Trump presidency. And I had been busting my ass. And when I pulled back, because I had to, and I was quite sick during that maternity leave, um, they thought that I had breast cancer, like the baby wasn't latching. I didn't. I had extreme, I had 11 weeks of mastitis. No. So I really did have to detach in the way that I hadn't, like when I was on my this first maternity. with baby number two, you had 11 weeks of mastitis. Yeah. So like okay. with baby number one, I was back on CNN within four weeks. I would bring him with me. Like I was like, I got to be back in the mix. With baby number two, I was flat on my ass. Like I was out. So it really did have to pull me out. And taking that pause out made me just look at what kind of impact I was having, like what I was giving up and like physically doing to my body by working so hard and like being physically pulled with breastfeeding and having babies and what impact I was having on like actually being able to push back against the laws of the Trump presidency and the impact. And what we had thought at the beginning of his presidency was that we could do things that would hold him at bay. And about a year in, we realized there was nothing we could do. Right. Um, and so the impact that I was having was not what I thought it was. And I was just too overwhelmed to go back. I was like, I don't know how I can actually handle this job that manages breaking news with two babies under one and a half, not feeling well. Um, so it, it almost didn't even feel like a choice. Mm-hmm. It was that I just couldn't go back. Yeah. And when I told the the head of the think tank, she was so kind and she was so understanding. And she's like, well, you're going to give yourself a little break. And I was like, no, no. Who, who do you think I am? No, I'm not going to give myself a little break. And so I threw myself into political consulting and I ended up working for Swing Left and managing celebrities all over the country for the 2018 election. Like I put celebrities in swing districts and that was great. I started a political podcast and that was great. But it just kind of felt like our time in Washington had run its course. Um, I'm from the city. I'm from New York. So we felt like we should, like it was time to move back. But then three weeks after I had the third baby, the pandemic hit. Oh my God. And so we left the city again for, you know, with a weekend's full of clothes in a car, never to return. Never to return. Never to return. And so we don't live in the city anymore. Wow. Or we only did for four months. But that just sort of blew it up. Wow. So that solidified the kind of the the end of that chapter. And then sort of. Yeah, it did. I mean, I you know, I had thought going into the 2020 presidential, I was like, okay, now I know how to be a mom with kids and go back into political consulting. Like, I'm going to be able to do this. But then the pandemic hit, and I had no childcare, and I had a two-year-old, three-year-old, and three-week-old. And the only way that you can work in politics is if you are fully immersed. There's no, there's no half in, right? Because you don't have all the information if you're half in, and you can't actually be giving good advice, right? So it broke me. Like it really did. Talk me through that moment where you. If you're comfortable. Yeah. It was um, my whole – the whole thing I had been holding on to with my own identity was that I may not be good at parenting, but I'm really good at politics. And so I have – my own self-worth is tied up in that. And I saw no more entry points in. Like a political podcast didn't work. Interviewing people didn't work. Nobody would hire me if I couldn't – give any part of my brand. I couldn't pitch myself. You know, my kids were running all around me just crying all day. I couldn't focus to write a memo to pitch myself as a consultant. Right. And so I just, I felt like I had no identity anymore. I didn't know who I was. And that was so 
the biggest driving factor in my life up to that point was being a hard worker and being good at my job and not being defined. I come from a very prominent family in New York and not being defined by my family, but being defined as my own person by taking the hardest jobs and being the first one in and the last one out was how I defined myself. And none of that was available to me anymore. So I just didn't know what my identity was. I didn't know where I lived. I was like, well, now I'm stuck with these kids I don't really like. And like, I don't know how that happened. And I really just needed advice. And so what did you do? I literally called the people that could give me the best advice. I was like, I need to know that I'm going to make myself, I'm going to come out of this different than I went into it. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe kind of okay, but like maybe better. And I thought, well, podcast. I know how to do podcasts, so let me turn it into a show. And like, maybe that's what I'll do. Like, if I need this advice, maybe other people need this advice too. So that's how it brought me to She Pivots. But because I do everything so intensely, I was like, well, now it's a show. Now it's a brand. I was like, and I need a partner on it. I can't just do it on my own um, because I felt like I was so, I w- in my own identity was so tied to politics. I didn't know if anybody wanted to hear anything from me that wasn't political analysis. So I felt like I needed more of like a lifestyle brand partner. Yeah. So I started pitching women's magazines and ended up with Marie Claire as the partner for the show just because I I didn't even trust myself to be able to having conversations without an outside partner validating me. So when you got that initial validation and you started the podcast – do you feel like that began to like make your cup feel full again in a different way? In a different way. It does. I love I love doing the interviews. I love doing the searching for the guests. Like that feels very validating. It feels like you know, if I spent my life working on legislative change like on changing laws, now I feel like we're working on culture change by telling different kinds of stories. Yeah. And so that piece is really intentional to me. But I can't stop being antsy and I can't stop like I just the more stable my life becomes like this and I say that like this is the first year I've had all three kids in school all day long so it's like a big difference the antsier I get yeah and I'm always moving markers of success so that I'm always making myself crazy but I think that there are a lot of entrepreneurs and that's how we operate like we're always yeah. moving the markers because it's all about having a game and achieving something you didn't think was possible and you do it and you're like, oh, I thought I'd feel good and like done yep. and I can put my feet up. And I was like, oh, wait, no, more. more right. Bigger, I mean, but, you know, you, you did it. <laughs> well, I had my own identity crisis, right, where, where I came back from my maternity leave and we had reorged and like I didn't have 18 direct reports. I had one and – what do I do with all this time? And that's what, when I launched my podcast, it was very similar, like, who am I if I didn't decide that blouse color blue? You know? <laughs> like, the, my identity was wrapped in the, all the decisions I would made that I would see on a woman. And then if I didn't get all the credit for that, who was I? Right. So I, I definitely feel like out of that crumbling of who you think and what you need, sometimes can come incredible things, like your award-winning podcast, some of the guests... I don't know if you want to brag about some of the guests you've had. Oh, thank you so much. Um, we interviewed Vice President Kamala Harris. That was a huge, huge, huge. moment for me in particular. Like, it was my field. Like, I never could have actually gotten that interview with her if I still worked in politics because I would have been, like, the person behind the person behind the person. <laughs> so that felt really validating that, you know, the vice president's office 
trusted me right. to have that conversation with her. And we did it in front of a live audience. That was huge. I mean, I interviewed Priyanka Chopra, which was incredible. Um, and the episode that we recently just won the most inspirational award for is a Ukrainian refugee who I've interviewed over six months to put her and her family's story together. She had been working as a lawyer at Spotify in Silicon Valley. She was living like a super American life when Russia invaded and her father, who's a total civilian, has ended up running the unit to defending the border with Belarus. And so she just like picked up and went back to Ukraine and she's been supporting her father's unit. And now she goes, now she's a refugee status in London. She got Spotify to transfer her to London and she had to go back to work because her family's not making any income. Wow. She got her sister out. I I spent a few days with them in London to be that close and to be able I, I never could have told a story with that level of humanity had I worked still in politics. It would have been about numbers or, you know, bite size stories that we can get out. But to be able to you know, we, we just the award that we just won for it, the the we won for most inspirational award. It was an audience award, so you had to vote. And I've been in like constant contact with our with the guest on it, Tatiana, because she ended up really seeing it as like a validation of her life. Wow. And so she I mean, she updates me like every day where the voting is. Like we did end up just winning, but to be able to she's so in it, you know, like what in all of the interviews that I did with her, the way that she speaks is almost a little bit detached because I think that's how you have to be for self-preservation. Yeah. But then to be able to give her a platform to be able to tell it broader and give her that opportunity to have that validation. I mean, I was so worried we weren't going to win and then she was going to feel like crushed by it. It's gratifying in a different way. Totally. And and so inspiring for so many people. Yeah, you know, the thing that really slays me about the podcast is that we have such a huge variety of guests, like some famous, some not famous, and I have some reality stars on, and they end up being I know my most listened to episodes. Yep. <clears throat> and the w- the way the deal that I make with myself is that if I have reality stars on, I have to make them talk about abortion. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What if they're not even Okay. What if they're not even can like even in that mindset of I want children like? Oh no, I, none of them come in wanting to talk about abortion. To be clear, okay, <laughs> not a one. So in your in your agreement, you're like we will be talking about abortion. Uh, no, I just bring it up when we're on. Oh, okay. Yeah, you just like surprise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I always I I'll go through what I think we're going to talk about, and then I find an angle in. Oh my god. <laughs> so do you want to talk about abortion? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We, exactly. That was my subtle way to open the door. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I just feel like having kids has made me more committed than ever to make sure that we're normalizing the conversation around abortion because, like, this is fucking hard. Yeah. And I chose it. Right. And it's really hard. Yeah. And I cannot imagine forcing someone else to make that decision to have a child because of some ideals. Totally. Which is the case in most states in the country right now. Yeah. So that's where Does I'm any always... part of you ever go, oh, my God, I just want to get back to Washington just to change that? Oh, I know. Well, now I feel like this is, you know, I live, I live in a Republican district right now. So I feel like I have more opportunity to actually maybe change from the outside. But, yeah, it's super frustrating. Yeah. It does make me feel like I want to go back. But I, I understand that it's going to have to happen through Congress, and I live in a Republican district. So, like – that gives me more opportunity. Yeah. 
So I want to shift gears here because prior to, well, actually, I texted you last night and I said, tell me something you haven't talked about because you've been all on TV a lot. You've obviously have incredible reach with the podcast. So what is, you know, in the spirit of never staying still and you were bored with your last child not being home, what did you decide to do? Um, I'm producing theater now. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> not just theater. Broadway Bro- musicals. Yeah. Okay. Let's be fair. It's Broadway. It's not like the Sag Harbor theater <laughs> production. Although I have a bunch of moms who are trying to organize with me to start a th- local theater company. <laughs> oh, my God. So TVD on next year's update. Perfect. <laughs> so what, why theater and what are you doing? Um, I love, I've always loved theater. Like, I just love musicals. It, like, touches me in a place. And I think I'm, like, maybe a little theatrical, but have no talent. Okay. Like, I like to say what I bring to karaoke is that whatever I lack in talent, I make up for an enthusiasm. Love that. Which is actually probably most of my life. Is like, how I generally operate. I love it. I love it so much. I've never thought about it as something that I would do in a professional capacity. I have a close friend who does do it professionally. And about a year ago, he said, like, wouldn't it be fun if we went on a show together? And he approached me with an opportunity to invest in Shucked, which is on Broadway now. Okay. Um, And actually, the funny part about it is that I said, well, if I do theater, it, it feels like it's like a new category for me. Like, it feels like it needs to be on brand. It needs to be like a women director and women writers. And he was like, okay, this is none of those things, but it's really funny and it'll probably make money. And I was like, okay, well, I guess making money is on brand. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so people probably hear the word producer and don't realize that a lot of producing Broadway shows is investing. Yeah. So now I'm. that's where I am right now is that I'm investing. Um, and there's – and I've – since just being listed in the program and Shocked, I've gotten a ton of incoming pitches – um, my feeling now is that I would just stay with Shocked because Shocked is going to have a North America tour, a West End, um, in addition to Broadway. And my feeling is that I would just kind of stay with Shocked and learn before going into other shows. And now I'm into other shows. Oh, my <laughs> so. God. You're insatiable. I am insatiable. So actually, this afternoon, I'm going to a rehearsal wow. of the next show that I invested in called How to Dance in Ohio. And that show felt important because it's the first show that's made for and with people with autism. Wow. So there's actually autistic actors in the show. Um, and part of my feedback during the the courting of investment process is that I wanted to see some evolution in some places. So I'm going to my first rehearsal for a Broadway show now. Wow. That's exciting. Thank you. It's my, the first time I've ever done it. Oh, wow. I'm so how did excited. you even know what feedback to give? Like, as do you know what I mean? Like, it's your first time. It's a whole new world. And now you're going to inform and they're going to change a show because of something you said. Well, that's a really good question. And I, I feel like my approach with anything is that I like to just observe for a while until I get the language and the calendar and the rhythm of something before I go into any kind of investment or, you know, even being on the school board, which I, of course, I'm on the school board, um, you know, the same way that like, you know, like I, you know, it took about a year of like observing before really, before really diving in. And I did that through the process with, with Shucked um, and with a lot of the other pitches that I've given. And to be honest, I don't know that I'm giving good feedback. Um, I'm trying it. I'm giving a little bit of feedback, but it's really just depending on I'm, I'm evaluating by what I think seems good. Like, I have seen a lot of theater in my day. I really love theater. Yeah. So I remember, the, like, the first film that I saw, saw of Shocked, of the reading, 
Um, I sent the executive producer. I was like, I'm sure I'm the last person you want to hear from, but here's some comments that I have. And he wrote back very politely, well, for every comment you have, I'm sure I have 10 more. And I was like, noted. <laughs> that was when you just do K. K. He gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, the nuances of emojis and K. Yeah. So, I mean, it may go nowhere and it may go somewhere, but I felt like, you know, I'm in, I'm invested in this both emotionally and financially. If yeah. I think it, somebody else might think it too. So I might as well raise it. Wow. That's exciting. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap, I, you know, it's, it's interesting when you say how you came at parenthood. I came at it where kind of, I guess, not the opposite, but, you know, the minute I had my son, I was like, why didn't I have this sooner? And felt like I was fueled with work and fueled as a parent. And you have now launched new ventures and your little birdies are free. So like, have you come to a place where you feel like you're getting towards a harmony of both or not? I do. I don't, I really don't identify with like the work-life balance language. I just think it's outdated. Well, you know what I was going to say in my next time I'm asked that is, you know, men never have it, right? And they've never had it. So why we think we should have it as women is completely ridiculous. No one has it. No one has it. But I think the way that you ask the question is the right way to ask it. Is it, am I fueled by both in the right ways? And I think that I am now. I think I figured, you know, I don't, I don't make everything um, either with work or with personal. And I think, you know, something that actually Dr. Becky said when I interviewed her really resonated with me, which was be parenting the way you want your children to grow into adults. Mm -hmm. And part of that is that I want them to have resilience and I want them to have independence. And the only way they will have either resilience or independence is by having obstacles and is by having having to have some level of independence. Yep. And, you know, I, le- I I don't live in the city. I come to the city for two days at a time to every few weeks to record, to meet, have meetings. And I mostly don't call home when I'm away. Yeah. The kids are, mo- they mostly just have to, because I actually find it's worse when I call because um, I'm disrupting the their ability to be able to detach from me and gain some independence and get their own kind of rhythm going. And that's been actually really helpful. To, and it And it's good for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like fully in it when I'm in it. Yep. Yep. It's funny you say that because I completely detach at this point from talking to my husband when he's out of town. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> oh, I mean, same. <laughs> uh, he, call, he called me yesterday. He's like, you know, we just haven't talked. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of on purpose. <laughs> you're like, well, you're gone, right? <laughs> but that is also a piece of it is that my husband does have to be able to manage our kids. Of course. And there can't be an expectation that it's like, oh, he's stepping in. Like, he is a full parent, too. Oh, that drives me crazy. Yes. Especially on the airplane. We're like, such a good husband. I'm like, so if I'm walking up and down the aisles, that's normal. But my husband doing it means he's a good father. Yeah. Cool. Right. I'm I'm actually going to read now, and he can walk up and down the aisles. Yeah. <laughs> or like, my husband's out of town for, for work, and he was like, what do you want to do with the kids? I was like, take two. And he was like, great. And And people are like, oh, what a good dad. I'm like, why is that abnormal? We have four children. We're dividing. Yes. Okay? It's all about the numbers. Right. When you Once you get above two kids, like it's all Just about dividing one. and conquering. You always got to take a kid. Yeah. And they're not babysitting. No. No. It's the, it's what they should be doing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So on the lighter side of things, what is something we'd be surprised to know about you? 
that I got my nose pierced when I was 25. I love that. I was a little on the older side. (laughs) I got mine when I was 16 in Israel, of all places. Mm -hmm. It was my rebellion. Um, And I'm thinking about bringing it back, maybe. I liked it on you. Yeah. I I think it's time. You know, I took it out recently for, I don't know, something. And I was like, you know what? I miss it. I like that it's back. I put it back in. Yeah, I did it when I was 25 because I was midway through law school and I thought, well, this is my last chance to get my nose pierced. And then it actually wasn't because I never took it out. Do you think that people (laughs) viewed you differently with a nose ring? I worked in a very conservative environment. I worked in military personnel policy. So I was lobbying on the Hill, but also I was in the Pentagon once a week. Did they not take you seriously because you had a nose ring? It was a big, well, I mean, just my overall appearance. Like, you know, like I, I was a civilian, not military. I was a woman. I was young. Like all, for all of those reasons, my dress got very conservative. I wore like only black pantsuits. I think my nose ring is small enough that I kind of, I don't know, maybe I didn't, maybe I'm kidding myself. And I probably actually in retrospect should have taken it out. But no, I was very conscious of how I was coming across because I also wasn't representing myself. I was representing my clients. Right. Like it wasn't about like me being myself, like in a space, like you're in the Pentagon trying to change their laws, like read the room, you know, literally the literal room. Right. (laughs) I'm glad you say that because I think that sometimes people cling to their own whatever so hard that it can hurt them on career stuff, right? Like you said, read the room, like you were representing your clients and this is the, you know, it's not time to wear the jumpsuit. No, no, it, it, no, (laughs) it was exactly right. Wow. Okay. And last question for you. What is a piece of advice you either got that was helpful that you'd like to pass on or that you learned the hard way and want to share? I think some advice that I got, similar to what we were talking about before, is that you can have everything, but you can't have it all at once. And so you just have to decide at that moment how you're dividing up your time. And is it is this week a work week? Is this day a work day? Is this week a family week? Figuring out how you spend your time. And I think related to that, something that I've learned the hard way is that it's not necessarily about not having time for something. It's about not prioritizing it. Yeah. If something is important, you prioritize it. And different things have to happen at different parts of your life. I mean, the biggest, for me, the biggest example of that is that I gained a lot of weight with my pregnancies, like a, like over 100, like 130 pounds. With each pregnancy? With the first, and then I just kind of kept it on for like five years. 130 pounds you kept on. There was no like, I had the baby, you dropped. I mean, when I had the baby, like seven pounds came out. You right. know, like just, the, you know, I, maybe I would go down 20 pounds, maybe I'd go down 30 pounds. But like, I had lost about 80 in between kid two and three, but then it went back up again. And there was a piece of me that didn't think that I could that I could still be a serious worker and put in the energy it took to lose the weight. Right. And so it wasn't until my career was totally in the tank, I had certainly nowhere to be during the lockdown, that I was like, this is now my priority. Yeah. And it wasn't until then that I actually could lose the weight because I had to just totally reprioritize my day, reprioritize my thinking. And it was once I removed having all the pressure on myself and externally from work that I could actually really focus on it. And now I've lost like 140 pounds. Holy shit. Well, we were talking about this at, at Drea's dinner, like how incredible you look and how hard you have worked for it. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been many a many year journey. Yeah. Like it's not a small thing for me. <laughs> 
No, but and the discipline and and you know required in that mindset, right? To, to yeah, get, yeah. I mean, that's what really played out for me. But I think that's true of anything that like, if it's important, you will prioritize it, which also means something else falls off. Mm-hmm. Like the way that that physically played out for me is that the only way that I could have enough energy to like really work out the way I needed to was first thing in the morning. My husband also works out in the morning. So he and I had to figure out how to trade off. Mm-hmm. Like that, and I lost that breakfast time with my kids for half the days, right? Like that is physically how it worked out for me. Yep. Something will fall off, but you just decide what your priority is. Yep. I think everyone, when looking at it that way, it, it becomes a little bit easier to just decide what's the priority that is going to fall off today. Yeah. Yeah. It, it Something will fall, and that's fine. Yep. I love that. I have recently had many priorities fall off. Be <laughs> like, oh, you're such a superwoman. How do you do it? I'm like, well, I'm not sleeping. <laughs> but good thing I can exist with no sleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but yes. And that- friends, right? Like, I am making my friends not a priority. Yeah. Because that's what's falling right now. But I think we, as long as we're honest about it and we know that that's the thing that's dropping, at least it feels like you can be a little bit more cause about when you're going to bring that up or press that next lever. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely go through phases where like sometimes my friend's the priority and sometimes they're not. Yeah. Something else is. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that you did. And I want everyone to listen to your podcast. So where where do they find it? She Pivots. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast. And head to Broadway. And head to Broadway. Buy your tickets now. Yeah, Shucked is amazing. Won the Tony for the for Best Supporting Actress for Alex Newell. They are unbelievable. Awesome. So definitely check it out. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.